Hello everyone, my name's Roy Matur, I'm an author and podcaster, and you're listening to Captain Roy's Rusty Rocket Radio Show, the UK geek science fiction fantasy and horror podcast episode 524, date on Thursday the 15th of February 2024 at 2300, yes, we actually started the show at the semi-scheduled time. 11 o'clock was always the time I aimed for. I never seem to make it at that time. I'm almost always earlier, later, sometimes on a different day. But anyway, it appears to be the right time. So, hello, Hammerians. God, I tried so hard to come up with something. Yeah, it's another Hammer House of Horror revisit. Hammerians doesn't quite have the ring as Sherlockians, Hoovians, Hammerians. Hammerians? Sounds nasty. We are back again. Tonight, I have found a nice spot in Hyde Park of the 80s. A nice place to park my Vimana. And Herr Feigl Gestalt is setting up refreshments essential to any discussion of the sublimely trashy horror that is the wonderful Hammer House of Horror TV series. It's October, not tonight, here, <laughs> in the present time, that's 2024, it's not October, it's, well, it's still cold, it's February, but it is October at the time of the broadcast of this particular episode, Charlie Boy. So it's fairly bracing, and I'm guessing Feigl will be serving up hot beverages. My multiversal malaise continues and has taken on an even more unfortunate turn, which is what happens when you jaunt one too many times around the multiverse. You get yourself all muddled up. Though there is a benefit to this, and that is, it is fortunate for you, the listener, that this is happening to me right now, because podcasting takes my mind off things, and I'm doing more of that than I usually do. Let's just breeze through my show notes. I'm sorry, I'm getting used to the new setup. It's always a new setup, isn't it? But tonight... The one thing that has changed is I'm not taping via the computer or the computer in any way. I never was anyway. I was going into a mixer. And then my recorder. Now I'm not even doing that. I'm going into a looper for Phantom Power, then into my recorder. And I'm not reading from the screen of my computer. That's actually turned off. I have got a spanking new music stand, and I've wanted one of these for years. I don't know why I didn't do it sooner, but I'm glad I waited because I would have bought one that's the wrong height. I've got a music stand that's suitable for violinists. It's quite tall, which means I can have the mic here and I can stare at my notes at eye level. It's a damn hard piece of equipment to find. If you're into music, you'll know I'm not a violinist. I'm 
Banjo Layerlist. <laughs> uh, my eyes are getting worse and my back's getting worse and I just can't find a position to play my music, you know, read my music from the sheets and uh, sing and do all that stuff really badly, but it's a hobby. The music stand, though, also enables me to read my show notes from paper, which is rather nice. I don't have to worry about the screen going to sleep in the middle of a show either. The only difference is reading from the paper rather than the screen is a bit weird. Hmm, okay. I'm usually reading from a text editor with light blue text on a black background. Now it's just black ink on white paper. Um, sorry, I'm really confused looking at this. Okay, okay, yes, tonight, Hammer House of Horror, Charlie Boy. It is nice to get back to Hammer House of Horror, isn't it? Okay, let us start off with some production notes. Notable cast. The main character, Graham, is played by a chap called Lee Lawson, who I assume was in a lot of things, but as far as I'm concerned, the only thing of import that he was in was Sword of the Valiant, The Legend of Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. And in that, he plays Gawain's squire, Humphrey. I can't remember him in that role. I can barely remember anything in that film apart from Sean Connery being in it. As far as I can remember, this was simply called The Green Knight. Or am I wrong? Anyway, his partner is Sarah, played by Angela Bruce, who is a very well-known actress in the UK. Her roles are many, but include Red Dwarf's female lister. Do you remember that episode? when they met their counterparts on a duplicated red dwarf, and instead of the cat, there was the dog, and there's a whole load of other stuff. Sorry, I'm straying from the point. Let's get back to Hammer House of Horror. Mark, his brother, is played by an actor named Michael Culver. He is most memorable for The Empire Strikes Back Captain Nida, who meets an unfortunate end when he disappoints Lord Vader. He was also in Space 1999 in the episode Guardian of Piri, in which he played an eagle pilot, Pete Irving. Phil, a director in this, he is played by Michael Deeks, who is most memorable for playing Swift Nick in Richard O'Sullivan's Dick Turpin from the 80s, if you remember that. I remember watching quite a few of those. Although, I was a teen by then, I don't think I watched that many. It seemed aimed at younger viewers or older viewers or something. But anyway, yeah, he was in Dick Turpin. He played Swift Nick. Inspector Franks. Uh, credited in IMDb just as Franks, was played by Jeff Rawl. You'll remember him from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. He played Cedric Diggory's dad, Amos Diggory. The secretary, although she's named in the script as Mandy, was played by Janet Fielding. It was, in fact, her TV debut. 
she was wearing in this a purple jumper and I think blue skirt or something. Her outfit wasn't that different from Tegan's in Doctor Who. She was one of the fifth Doctor's companions, Peter Davidson. She played Tegan Jovanka, or Jovanka. I think it should be pronounced Jovanka. That's what a Serbian friend from years ago told me anyway. Oh, I'm sorry, I drifted off there thinking about Tegan and the Fifth Doctor. And uh, yeah, because that is the other revisit that I'm doing. If you only listen to the Hammer ones, I'm also doing a uh, classic Doctor Who revisit. And at the moment, I'm revisiting the Fifth Doctor, Peter Davison, and Tegan Yovanka is one of his companions right at this time. So that's a nice coincidence. Okay. On from cast to the director. The director was Robert Young. I saw that he also directed Hammer's Vampire Circus. That is not a film that we've reviewed on this pod. The writer was Bernie Cooper, whose writing credits include two episodes of Man in a Suitcase... I have only the vaguest recollection of what this is, and I did have to read the description. It is about an ex-spy who is a kind of troubleshooting chap, an unofficial private eye. Francis McGahey is the second writer. He is more well-known as a director. His directing credits include... Only two films that I've seen, The Great Riviera and Taffin. In The Great Riviera, uh, stars, oh, what's his name? Ian McShane, Lovejoy, as this, uh, oh, I can't remember. I think it's about some kind of uh, bank job or something. And Ian McShane plays this very right-wing ex military guy who is some kind of crook. Anyway, he plays a fairly uh, unpleasant character. And he's associated, Francis McGahey, with Ian McShane in a couple of films. And Taffin, starring Pierce Brosnan, uh, another crime film that I have seen. Again, only vague recollections of that. The producer, as always, was Roy Skeggs, ex-Hammer Films, formed spin-off Cinema Arts, returned to Hammer, moved production to Buckinghamshire, and created Hammer House of Horror. Locations various in and around Buckinghamshire in 1980. This episode, and I got these locations from IMDb, included Hampton House, that's where Uncle Jack falls and its interior, Hill Avenue, in Amersham, which is where Heinz's Antique Shop is located, Peterly Manor House, Peterly Lane, Prestwood, that's where Graham and Sarah's flat is, Aylesbury Road, Great Missenden, that's where the road rage incident takes place, the Holloway Whiteleaf, Prince's Risborough, is the scene of... Sarah's Crash. All of those places in Buckinghamshire. 
Production was by Hammer Films, Cinema Arts and ITC Entertainment Distribution on ITV. The memorable music by ex-jazz pianist Roger Webb. As for broadcast, this was episode 6 of 13. First broadcast on the 18th of October 1980 and consisted of one 54-minute episode. Possibly about an hour with ads. It follows the house that bled to death, which I talked about in episode 520. Media releases. It was available on DVD, Hammer House of Horror, The Complete Collection in 2002. Blu-ray, Hammer House of Horror, The Complete Series in 2017, which is worth buying because the series was shot on 35mm film. And only Blu-ray can do it justice. If you don't want to buy it, it's available on ITVX in the UK since 2023, and I've noticed it's also available on Apple TV. I saw that while Googling today. I don't have Apple TV. Zeitgeist. What was happening on the day of the first broadcast in the UK? I could find very little. I do know that number one in the UK was still the police's Don't Stand So Close To Me, as it was for the house that bled to death. So no change there. If you want to know what I think of the police, listen to the last revisit. Listen to what I said about the house that bled to death. Okay. I may include a clip here. If I do, enjoy it. If I don't, eh, it's only 15 seconds anyway. And then, after a short break, I'll tell you the plot outline, and then I'll tell you what I thought, followed by some trivia. Okay, see you in a moment. Well, I know you've got something, haven't you, Charlie boy? That object has something to do with those deaths. That'll make you burn however hard you are. If there was a clip, I hope you enjoyed it. I'm back now, so let me tell you what happens. Well, when I say I'm back, I didn't really go anywhere. I just sat down about three inches away from the mic stand. Oh, I'm so unfit. Just standing up near a mic is tiring. Here's a rough outline of the story of Charlie Boy. Here we go, then. Elderly Uncle Jack falls from his roof while adjusting a TV aerial. (laughs) Later, his nephew, Graham, arrives to inspect his inheritance, which is all his late uncle's art. That includes paintings and quite a lot of African statuary. His wife, Sarah, names a magical African fetish doll from the collection Charlie Boy, and they keep it, with a view to selling the rest. On the way home, they are the victims of a road rage incident. 
uh, driving along and they upset a guy in a big expensive car and the other guy just harasses them on the road. It's really frightening. And they stop and Graham in particular is thoroughly shaken by the look of the guy with his scarred face. And for the rest of this refers to him as Scarface and thinks that he's some kind of mobster, which it turns out that he is. Later, enraged by the incident, Graham stabs Charlie Boy, imagining it to be the man who attacked them, Scarface. We cut in and out of the real life of Scarface as the man comes a cropper and is stabbed to death. Graham's elder brother, Mark, inherits the rest of his uncle's estate, all the valuable stuff, in other words, but reneges on an earlier deal to invest in Graham's film production company. Now jobless and furious, he stabs Mark in a photograph, that is, he stabs the depiction of Mark in a photograph, It is a photograph that includes Mark, Graham, Graham's film director, Phil, Uncle Jack's housekeeper, Gwen, and Sarah. He then repeatedly stabs at the doll. In due course, Mark is killed when he flies off his horse and is impaled by a tractor rake. Phil... The director is killed on his William Tell set by a crossbow bolt. Graham is now convinced that all these deaths are the work of the doll and that everyone in the photograph will die and that the next victim will be Gwen. Unable to remove the knife from the doll or contact Gwen by phone, Graham drives over to the estate, but finds her already dead after cutting her wrist. Hines, his uncle's art dealer, when he goes to see him, says Graham's only hope is to burn the doll. The problem is, it's been missing after a burglary due to Hines letting slip to a crooked friend its location. A crooked and crazy friend. Graham gets the address from Hines, goes over to the crook's house, fights the crook, retrieves Charlie Boy, and drives past Sarah's crashed car, unaware that she is already dead. Back at their home, he goes to the basement, the boiler room, builds up a bonfire, and attempts to burn the doll, but dies as he clutches the statue bristling with blades, trips over a hatchet on the stair and slams into the floor, driving the blades into his chest. You can already guess what I'm going to say about this, I think, from that ending. Okay, thoughts. First of all, the main couple, Graham and Sarah, stood out for me because there were not many mixed couples in the early 80s. I mean, there were some... I've got an auntie in a mixed marriage. She got married sometime probably in the 60s, but generally there weren't that many in the 80s. Also, 
And this is even more rare, even today. Partnerships that span the class divide. That was also unusual. And in fact, it is a theme of the story, a bit of tension between them, that Sarah says how middle class he is, and, you know, it's the whole thing. <laughs> Let's talk about Charlie Boy, the prop itself. It is shockingly bad. <laughs> and unintentionally extremely funny. I pointed out in a tweet that it looks like the little statue is wearing Wayfarer-like Ray-Ban sunglasses. I googled other African fetish dolls and all are far less comical than this and have a lot more artistic merit. It's pretty bad. And even surrounded by other African art in the scene where we first meet Charlie Boy, he sticks out like a sore thumb. In the context of schlock, it does work. It works really well. <laughs> you want something that sticks out of it that's a bit unusual. <laughs> I'm not sure you want something that's funny, though. But anyway, I found it funny. I have more to say on that a bit later. The statue. Oh, that was weird. I had to hit pause there for a moment. There was a loud crash from somewhere. Apparently it wasn't inside. What the hell was that? Oh. <laughs> Am I scaring myself by talking horror? I don't know. Where were we? Okay, yeah. The statue, Charlie Boy. Charlie Boy is morally neutral. While most don't deserve their fates... The Maniac Driver was a maniac of exactly the type I was almost killed by once. And Mark, Graham's elder brother, is cruel to his horse. He slaps one of the horses and tells it off. And, of course, is an utter rotter in breaking his business partnership with Graham. What a bastard. I liked the way Charlie Boy's magic worked. It was... Very literal, very mechanistic, almost non-mystical. Stab the statue once, and one person dies. Stab it five times, and five people die. While we're still on props, a deceased uncle, notable for buying my first bicycle, also owned a white Austin Mini, like Sarah's. Unlike Sarah's, it didn't crash through a hedge and kill its occupant, though. It had a much happier fate. He loved the car so much that when he left England, he took it home with him. And as far as I know, it's probably somewhere on a tropical island uh, enjoying its retirement. I hope. I hope it hasn't been scrapped. I found <laughs> that the script did its usual on-the-nose script-writing trick when scriptwriters can't think of a subplot and write about something they are extremely familiar with, perhaps overly familiar with. In this case, Mark starting a production company and the film set scene. It's too easy. But it does also have a added benefit on the cost of props, because you just use stuff that you've already got for props. 
this is also something we see in the first episode of Hammer House of Horror, Witching Time, where the protagonist is a sound designer and his wife is an actress. Ah, <laughs> oh, doesn't mean it's a bad thing, because how about all that sound equipment used in Close Encounters of the Third Kind to dress the set? Or how in Logopolis, the Doctor Who adventure, which we talked about ages ago, there's a few BBC micros and a Sony monitor, I think, in use. Something that they would have used to monitor video cameras during the filming. And, of course, BBC micros. I'm sure they used BBC micros for graphics uh, in the 80s in the BBC. Right, let's move on to Janet Fielding. We can't not talk about her, even though her role in this is minor. Mandy, credited as secretary on the cast list, is Phil Set Admin. I don't know what her actual title is, but she... yeah, secretary. It's clear that she and Phil have a relationship from the extremely irritated look she gives Phil as uh, she's in the background and Phil's in the foreground as he flirts with a cast member. He tells that cast member an apple merchant with a... <laughs> with one of those low-down dresses and quite buxom lady and a basket full of apples. Oh, what lovely rosy pippins you got there. <laughs> so carry on. Mandy... Is also pleased later, just before his horrible death, when he tells her some good news about uh, Graham's investment in that nascent production company in which he will have some work thrown his way. Talking about horrific deaths, the deaths were horrific, though three of them were also very funny. Let's start with Uncle Jack's clumsy fall. Look, if you're a character wobbling around high up in the air, you're not long in this world if you're in anything made by Hammer, TV program or film, you are going to die. So <laughs> seeing him teetering around on that rooftop, you knew exactly what was going to happen the moment you saw that. Ah, oh, adjusting an aerial... <laughs> Then there's Mark's bloody end after he flies off his horse as it clears a hedge and then is impaled onto a tractor rake. That is a nasty death, but it is so richly deserved that one can't help but laugh out loud. And I did. Oh, just seeing him lying there staring up at the sky, bleeding out, you think, well, I'm sorry, mate, you deserve that. And finally, we have... Cheerful, chirpy Londoner. I was going to say Cockney, but we all sound like that, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Director Phil, rehearsing his cast uh, for the William Tell shoot. And yes, that is a pun, and it's coming in a moment. The tension ratchets up as he swaps position with the boy who plays William Tell's son, who's to balance the apple on his head. And because he swaps position with a child... The child lives, 
but it condemns him to dying when a carelessly preloaded crossbow fails and its quarrel pierces his side. Ah, talk about onset safety. Ah, man. I don't want to joke about that because that's quite a serious topic and people have died quite recently too from clumsiness like this. But the fact that this was the way he died means that it can't be something new and accidents do appear to happen on set. But uh, I found it quite funny because all the way up until he actually dies, you've got this jaunty, almost carry-on-like music. And that makes the scene hilarious. On the other hand, deaths like that of Gwen and Sarah and Graham to a lesser extent, because his death is a bit just stupid and just felt uh, tacked on. I'll get on to that a bit later. Those deaths were nasty. You know, death by suicide and death by horrible car crash. There's nothing funny about those. My penultimate point is something I have no idea about. I did have one more thing that I wrote down in my Filofax as something to talk about on this episode, but unfortunately I couldn't read my handwriting. (laughs) I've posted a picture of it on Twitter, but what it appears to say is Springy Biley. Your guess is as good as mine what that means. If you have a look at the Twitter feed and you look at the handwriting and you can recognise what I was trying to say, then please let me know. Write in with your guesses. Answers on a postcard. No, that's been really sarcastic. Sorry about that. Forget that last bit. Yeah, just tell me what that means. What the hell was I talking about? I don't think it was that important, but you never know. It could be the hinge pin that this entire review relies on to be fantastically analytical and something that will be remembered in the next 10 years or 100 years of screen criticism. I doubt it. Okay, sorry. Went off on one there. (laughs) Back to Charlie Boy. My conclusion, the main plot with magic and gore is a good one. And Charlie Boy is decently acted with decent actors. Though the ending was very average and unlikely, and felt extremely tacked on. Mark just tripping over an axe and dying. That's ridiculous. Charlie Boy deserved to kill Mark in a far more colourful manner. I think that felt like a cop-out. No, no, that definitely felt like a cop-out. That was a cop-out. It didn't feel like it. It was a cop-out. Oh, that was not good, that ending. It felt like the script had been rushed right at the end. I don't know why that is. Moving on to trivia. Yeah, we're still talking about Charlie Boy. According to a website... Hammer House of Horror TV series.co.uk, the absolutely awful Charlie Boy prop was made by classic Doctor Who's John Friedlander. Friedlander was a mask maker, 
a creature and prosthetics designer for Frontier in Space, Death to the Daleks, Genesis of the Daleks' Davros, The Sea Devils, and visual effects for The Ark in Space, The Sontaran Experiment, and Colony in Space. Maybe the chap had an off day, or maybe he's just messing with us and had an evil sense of humour, or fully understood how schlocky and trashy the script was and made something that would fit into that. Charlie Boy is currently owned by Simon Greetham, of whom I know nothing except that he was involved in Hammer Studios' publicity. There you are, Charlie Boy happy in retirement. Must get tiring magically having to kill people. I can see Charlie Boy sitting in a deck chair in a hula shirt with a nice drink with umbrellas in it. What is next for me? Are you ready? I have absolutely no clue what is next. I make no promises what I'll do and when I'll do it. But I'm guessing you may not have to wait long again. Can't promise that. Maybe you do have to wait long. Don't know. They do say when you have a podcast, the thing that listeners hate most is unpredictability. Well, I'm sorry. You've tuned into that kind of podcast. I do respect the listener, but, you know, it's me. (laughs) God knows when the next one will be out. Probably not long. With that, my legs are absolutely killing me. So I'm going to say goodbye. You can find me at roymatur.com, R-O-Y-M-A-T-H-U-R.com. Please review, rate, support, and recommend the show to a friend or mortal enemy. The time at the end is a good question. I know you're dying for this highly accurate information. 234712. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!